This is episode six of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagined, or maybe they didn't imagine it, but have become super successful at what they're doing. Um, They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business, or they found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. We might also discuss taking the leap, making changes, and perhaps even how to be happy. Today, we're talking with Randy Thomas, an actor and founder of the Actor Advantage program. Randy is very passionate about people being able to earn a living doing whatever it is they love. He has over 20 years of experience in the film and TV industry and has openly talked about the struggles of being a starving artist. In the last 18 months, he's recommitted to his journey and has decided to go all in. He's landed reoccurring roles on not one, but two TV series. You can see him on 21 Thunder and Incorporated, and he's even moved into modeling, which is not something that he ever imagined doing. Now, ladies, this is audio, but Google Randy. He's definitely a handsome guy, and so modeling seems like a natural fit and a no-brainer. I'm so super excited to talk to Randy and explore his journey. So Randy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Janet. It's great to be here. Great to be here. You know, I do have to be honest and say we've had to do this again (laughs) because (laughs) I accidentally deleted our previous recording. So you're being very gracious by giving me the time again. No, it's my pleasure. I always have time for you, Janet. Yeah, well, and I think your story is so interesting, so it's important to uh, share it. Well, thank you. Um, So I don't know if you remember this or not, but we did just talk about it. Uh, We've known each other about 10 years, and um, we originally met at an event that I had organized for women, and you were the only guy at the event. (laughs) Smart. I think so. I think so. I think I think I think women should take that advice. Go to events where there's only men. I agree with you. I think that's a great. I'm I'm actually going to promote some of my friends to start doing that. Um, and the one thing that I remember the most is uh, after all the speakers were done, you came up and introduced yourself, and then you said, uh, "I have no idea what any of these other women were talking about, but I remember every word you said." And I, it stuck in my mind um, because I thought, wow, I really like this guy and we need to go for drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, shortly thereafter, you had asked me to come on that channel, yes. uh, which is where you were at that point in time. Yes, the internet radio TV station that I, that I was a part of. Yeah, so many years ago. And I think that was Hugh Riley. Riley, yes. And, yeah, and he was supposed to do the interview, but he didn't show up. Right. And so you did the interview. That's right, on his Liquid Lunch show. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And so that was my first experience actually on camera being interviewed. And you made it so easy, so I have to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, let me tell you about how I found that channel. Yeah. Back when I found it, I was uh, doing the PR for a movie called The Rocket. It was a hockey movie with the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, yeah, in yeah, Quebec, yeah. it's called Maurice Richard. Um, I had hired a publicist, and we beat the PR dog to death. Okay, like I was on off the record 10 times on TSN, uh, actually 12 times. I uh, was on radio interviews and French interviews because it was a, it was a bilingual uh, movie. And like she did a great, great job for me. But way at the bottom of the list was this little internet radio station that happened to come up at the last second. And I had been beat, the dog was basically beaten to death. Okay, so I said, whatever, I'll, I'll go do it. I remember walking into this little place and going, "Oh my God, it's dead. This is a, this. I've really milked the PR cow for this." Okay, <laughs> so 
I did the interview and I was getting ready to leave and this voice kind of hit me and it just said, Randy, look around. It was almost like Field of Dreams. It said, Build It, They Will Come. Yeah. And it was like, Randy, look around. And I was just wanting to get out of there because the place, you know, it just wasn't the classiest joint in town. But it was, it had something about it. You know, the old, the second oldest elevator in the city to take you up to the, fifth, the fourth floor. Yeah. And uh, the guy who was running it, Hugh Riley, he's a great guy. And... Uh, before I turned around, before I left, walked to the door, I turned around and I said to him, I said, uh, what's going on here? And he started explaining explaining to me about the internet mm-hmm. and internet broadcasting. And uh, that was how Mark Cuban made all his money. And three weeks later, I had my own show called The Green Room. Yeah. Right? Because I was moving to Toronto. I was living in Montreal at the time. I moved to Toronto was moving to Toronto and I started the show because I said I want to meet the casting directors, producers and stuff like that who are living in Toronto. Instead of me trying to knock on their door, I said, why don't I offer them an interview and then I get to have a glass of wine with them afterwards. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I did 60 episodes of oh, wow. The Green Room. And, uh, but what I also did was I started, because of me being an actor, at the time it was only internet radio and I eventually got some investors and, and moved it into internet television. Oh, cool. And uh, the people at the Fight Network actually give me credit for their studios because they were at mine. Oh, and really? We just didn't have the money they had. Yeah. And uh, they blew it out and made it fantastic. And we never got the backing. And, and uh, again, a long story short, it just was Hugh Riley is still running that channel. And yeah. he's very happy. And I'm very happy for him. Yeah. Some of us just want different things. Absolutely. He's running it his way and he's very happy. So I'm very happy for him. And uh, that's how I, that's how I got involved with that radio and that channel. And that's how I met you. Yeah. At the Verity Club. That was so funny. That was awesome. You were like anyone who's out there networking, like the way you approached me was perfect because you're like, you're so memorable. Like you just said so many things where after I walked away, even like a few days later, it was like you were still in my mind. People will never remember what you say. They never remember what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so obviously I was able to connect with you. That made you feel good. And obviously since then we've had a a friendship that's lasted 10 years. Yeah, and I've loved, um, because we're friends on Facebook, I've loved seeing like all the different things that you're doing. And it's like, (laughs) what's going on with Randy now? But before we get into what you're doing now, Mm. let's go back to the very beginning. So you're originally from Moncton. Yep. Um, which I love. And the other thing that I really, really um, like about you is that you're committed about doing well for yourself, but you also want other people to do well too. Yeah. It's, uh, when I was young, I, I uh, was definitely a, a champion of the people. And I, and I don't mean that. Uh, like I always wanted to make money. I wanted the, the finer things in life. But I, I guess my Achilles heel has always been I'm a champion of the people. Yeah. Because I, I have a very hard time being ruthless and only thinking of myself. And that's, um, again, that's, I'm not bragging. That's, truthfully, I think it's a flaw. <laughs> but do you think, like, do you think that comes from growing up in the East Coast? Probably, Moncton's not that small. How no, big is Moncton? No, it's 120,000 people now when, in, in the greater Moncton area. Well, how big was it when you were It was there? about 100. 100 yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's still the hub of the Maritimes. And it's got a French English population. Uh, my 
father and I are very much alike. We like people, like talking to people. And my mom's head of the liberal association. And so they were connected and we were involved in the church and all that kind of stuff. And then I was always playing soccer. So we were traveling. So I was always around people, went to university, played varsity sports. And then, you know, so you develop friendships that, I, that you have for the rest of your life in high school. I was actually president of my high school. Yeah. Actually, I just showed you a picture of my <laughs> Mr. North America pageant in 1995. Not bodybuilding. I mean, it was pageant. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In 95. 95. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. No, I know. I know. And yeah, so East Coast is uh, very friendly. Like growing up, we never thought about locking the door of the house. The front door was always locked because it was like to tell people to go around to the back door. Yeah. It wasn't because we were worried about people coming in. It it's was just, so true. it was just, why would you come in the front door? Go around the back door. Right? That's like where I'm from too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like I was watching this comedian, uh, Sebastian something, Italian guy. And he goes, remember back in the day, your mother had cake or tea and stuff like that. And it was like, you know, company would just ring the doorbell. You know, like you have to be in the neighborhood. And it was, it was totally cool. Yeah. Now it's like somebody rings your doorbell out without calling you. It's like, you know, it's like. Who's what, at my door? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? It's so it's different. True. The world is so different. And again, a lot of that too is Facebook and everything. Like, look look at how when we met, Facebook was just starting. Yeah. Yeah. It was MySpace back then. It's true. That's true. And now it's like, look what Facebook has done. Like, Facebook has changed my life. Like, yeah. in a lot of people's lives. And I don't mean that. I am on it a lot. But it's for my business. It's for my life. And that's what I try to explain to my parents and my family. Because at first, they were very angry. They're saying, who is this person on your Facebook page? And, you know, I've got almost 5,000 people on my personal page. And they're saying, well, why don't you start a fan page? And I'm like, that's not me. Yeah. That's so arrogant to me to say, ah, I'm going to put you off my personal page. Go adore me on my fan page. <laughs> it's like, no, I just can't do that. Like, I only reason why I recently opened a fan page because it... Instagram forced me to if I wanted to have any ads or anything on my Instagram. I had that right. business account. They forced me. And so I put it right across the top of my fan page. I don't want this page, but Instagram has forced me to have it. Okay, so let's go back to Moncton. Small yeah. town. Yep. You're growing up there. You're yep. playing sports. You're doing lots of different things. Yep. When you were younger... I was younger, a part of the first soccer league in Moncton at nine years old. I was the young... We were the first year soccer started in Kodiak, uh, Moncton Regional Soccer. And I was also uh, the first French immersion class. Oh, wow. Late immersion, grade seven. There was French schools, it's a bilingual city, but we were the first time the English system started embracing French immersion. So we were the first class in Moncton. And then I'm gonna, that helped me a lot, even though when I went to university, I was in Halifax. When I, went to, when I moved to Montreal for my acting career, that, was, that helped me a ton. Yeah, because you... myself in, in Montreal. Not speaking now, French, that'd be tough. I yeah. should probably mention that I, I, I studied business. In well, okay. University. Yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. But when you were when you were younger, yeah. think back to when you were young. Yeah. What is it that you thought you wanted to do with your life? Uh I was a very prestigious guy. I always wanted to be an actor. I just down there that was just so foreign of far from the realm of possibility because the idea of doing local dinner theater and like where are you going you had yeah. to go to the big city there was a movie and, and but you never knew it back then because there was no internet yeah so there was, toronto was the behemoth of cities back it's then. it's true like so if you come from a small town like now everything's so open because of the internet people can just get on a plane and go because they already know what it looks like they know the streets because they get camera views from google they know exactly where they are 
Whereas for us in our day, you're getting off the plane wondering what the hell's going on. <laughs> it's it's all new. They're different, different, different level of comfort nowadays than you had back then. So yeah, I I always wanted to be an actor. Yeah. But then it was something prestigious and rich, like a doctor, a dentist, and then businessman. Because my dad became a businessman, he left teaching to become. A businessman. So then I, when I came out of here, I, that's what I ended up doing. I went to university business, came back, worked with my dad. And then uh, uh, we had a, uh, a marketing company uh, call center. The yep. first independently owned call center in Willamette, Canada. And uh, we had, I was 26, had 30 employees and uh, knew nothing about anything. <laughs> right? First name basis was Frank McKenna, the premier, because we were managing the campaign for them with the, with their communication company and their economic development team to attract call centers to New Brunswick. That's why New Brunswick has so many call centers. Oh, wow. Because it was, I was a part of that plan that was genius at the time. And we basically called the top 500 companies and said, the prime minister or the premier of New Brunswick would like to talk to you. Wow. I'll put them on the phone with you right now or I'll continue some information. We can arrange a call later. It was amazing. I, I thought it was like, I, I was young, right? So I'm thinking, why would the Royal Bank want to move here? Yeah. Who's going to have that kind of money just to pick up and leave? Yeah, well, evidently a lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Royal Bank did, Purelater, FedEx, uh, name it. Like Blue Cross, everything. Moved to Moncton. Wow. It was incredible. So you find yourself in this job. Yeah. How long did you stay in this job? Until the company went bankrupt. Oh, wow. What had happened is that we were, uh, there was other management team before I got involved. And my dad had to let them go. My dad was a businessman, but he didn't love that that company. He liked the idea of it. Right. It was big. It was, you know, dad was, dad is a great social guy. He loves, you know, but he didn't want to get involved with the telecommunications of it all. Side. And I was very much like my dad. Okay, so I was basically, I said, okay, I need to hire the right person under me to, or with me to manage this company. And I got a, a really good guy. But again, like any business, any business, it's sales. Yeah. You can pawn off sales all you want, but you know what? The leader has to sell. The leader has to sell. Yeah. Well, they say, like, if you own your own business, you need to be a salesperson. Well, you have to be a salesperson. And, and, and that's the thing, right? Like if you read like the E-Myth or anything like that where he says, just because you're a great baker doesn't mean you should ever start a, own a bakery. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's so true. People will tell me, oh, Randy, you make a great salesperson. I don't. See, it's funny. I get it, but I hate it. Yeah. Because I am. Um, I don't like to force you to do anything. Where sales is... <laughs> I'm trying to get you to do a little faster than you probably are ready for. Yeah. Well, people have told me I'm a good salesperson before I started Orange Fish. Like this one guy from high school is like, Janet, you should be in sales. You'd be great in sales. And I'm like, I don't want to do sales. <laughs> no, well, no, but if you think about it, like all, all the jobs that back in the day that we could have made good money in, a lot of it was life insurance. Oh, right? Yeah. And, and it was like, I don't want to be that guy at the party. Anywhere you go, if you're selling something, like I learned very quickly, I invested in water purifiers when they first came out. So I said, I'm going to sell the ass off these things. So I bought a truckload. (laughs) (laughs) 
A couple years later, my dad's pawned them off in garage sales for like two bucks a piece, right? <laughs> it's true. And they were ninety nine. So the point is that the, the you know the point is that you learn though who you are, yeah, and what you want to do. And uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about it, but um, I am I don't like to sell. Yeah. I don't like to sell. I'm an ideas guy. I love to conceive things. The minutia, I'm terrible at. Yeah, Terrible. the details. No, but I just don't like that. I am I am about feelings and strategy and and that excites me. It really excites me. You know, like I I I guess I'm I'm off on a tangent here, but being young at that young age, you know, I didn't know when I was hiring what a real great salesperson was. And and the truth is, you're probably not gonna like them. Yeah. Because they don't care. They just want you to cut the check. Yeah. And somewhere in the company, you need that guy. You need that guy that's a closer. That just is a monster. That. Well, I think one of the biggest know? challenges you get into when you're hiring someone is um, you lean towards hiring someone who's like you because you like them. But the best advice I ever got from someone was do not hire someone who is exactly like you. Yeah. Hire someone who is almost the opposite of I that. remember you telling me this five years ago. Yeah. I remember that. I, I think I was probably interviewing you. <laughs> six or seven years ago. No, but it's true. Yeah. It's, it's so true. true. And I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. If there's two of you that are the same, one of you are not needed, right? Yeah, that's right. Like, Especially small business or oh, small yeah. company. And, and, and you're absolutely right. It's about learning about who you are. So for yeah. me, to be able to help other people do what they love, whether it be in acting or in anything, I love to help people. You know, my roommate's running for election and... And he's just a great soul, but he's black and white. He doesn't understand that, but that's why he's with the NDP. Because yeah. <laughs> the world runs in gray. The yeah. world does not run in black and white, and, and unless it's dollars and cents. And even then. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, it's true. And, 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 that's, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, for, for, for me, um, growing up, the lessons I learned was that I didn't want sales. And so when, my, when the company closed and I had 30 employees, when we had to close it, I remember uh, it was it was stressful. It was stressful. Of it was course. our lives. You're a smaller community. You're responsible for other people's income. It was the like... guilt of the son not being able to come through for his dad. Yeah. And and no matter what I did, and I remember going, I remember not being able to make our payroll, and me going down to the bank, and him going, "Why didn't you just call me?" I go, "Because you'll tell me no on the phone, but it's a lot harder to tell me no to my face." Oh, wow. And I go, and what I learned from that whole experience was that we were, like, in, in the terms of big business, it was nothing. We were three quarters of a million dollars in debt. Okay? For big business, that's nothing. They, at that time, like, I remember being, when, when I first took it over, the bank looked at me right away and goes, you've got a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Pull it out. Kill the company. Open up the next day under a different name. You have all the assets and everything on a fire sale. Okay? Yeah. I didn't understand that concept back then. That to me was, and that's where a small city again was at the pride of saying, we started a company, so now we're going to be like Shylocks and we're going to shut, we're going to, we're going to kill it knowing we have all this money in the bank and open it up tomorrow with a different name on it. It means we're screwing the bank, we're screwing everybody. Yeah. And, but the bank was fine with it because in their minds was that, you got a good business. We'll make it off you in the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but 
I'm 26. I don't get that. And you're from not. a small town where my dad was a handshake guy, right? Like, so it, it was just like, what? No, 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 no. We're going to pay you. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. And they're just looking at me going, you know, when it finally ended, he said, I admire you guys, but we knew you were dead. It was just, it shocked us how long you were able to keep going. Yeah. You know, and, and it was, but, but again, those are the things that I would say to people, like, you get your lawyer to do your legal work. Get your accountant to do your accounting. Follow that advice for the rest of the other areas of your life as well. You can you you, you can cut corners some places, you know. You might be able to do your own nails. <laughs> it right? Depends. Yeah, but the reality of the situation is is that specialists are there for a reason, and if you're good enough at using your time at something else, delegate it. Yeah. And that's what you have to say means. I'm so bad at that. No, but I, I no, no, but I think people, I, no, but I think people misread what delegate means. Delegate doesn't mean giving orders and it's doing outsourcing. nothing. It's outsourced. No, 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 but it's not even that. It's freeing yourself up to do what you do best, and then holding yourself accountable to produce during that time more than what it costs you to hire that person that's taking care of what you didn't want to take care of. Right, right, right. And that's usually in sales, and that's what bothers most people. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think it's mostly in sales, like because that's where. Because in the end of the day, it's cutting checks. Right? What did I? Uh, I forget which dragon I was talking about. Something. I think it might have been Mark Cuban actually. He said, "I don't take a meeting unless somebody's cutting a check." Wow. He goes, "If not, it can be done on the phone." And I thought about that, and I said, "Yeah." So I, I the actors that I coach, everybody that I coach right now, I try to have all my meetings in one day of the week, two days of the week, if there's a lot of them. But I try to schedule them all so that I'm out for the day at a coffee shop. Like sometimes, some, some days, I'm at coffee shops for meetings from like nine to five. Wow. Because it's, it's every hour and a half. Yeah. There's a meeting, different meeting happening. But that means though, I'm only out once. And I'm only spending a certain amount of money and amount of time traveling. Yes, yeah. That's the key. And the mental space too is that, you know, if you're gonna work, you know, work on anything that, uh, that, that needs time. Like that's why I say to people, you know, the things that we worry about now that like if you just boil it down like to business and it's simple. It really is simple. You got to do the work yeah. and the work is sales usually and make sure you master your product. And now with the internet and everything, it's, it's tough, you know, it's, it's, uh, we all have to, you know, I'm, I'm an actor, I'm in the union. But we have to accept the fact that the internet has opened up many great opportunities, but it's also driven down the value of an actor or most products. Yeah, or products. It's true. Like, it, yeah. Services, especially. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so how do we, so we have to accept that reality and stop dreaming about the good old days. Yeah. Okay. So then you went from telecommunications yes. and then what next? I, we lost the company and I moved to Montreal and started acting. Yeah. Yeah. And then I uh, worked as a Chippendale as well. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, uh, the same. I, I, I use the word Chippendale because it's like Kleenex. It's like, a, it's like a generic term for yes. an exotic dancer or a stripper technically, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So well, how did you end up getting into that business? Wow. That was interesting. Well, you know, I showed you the Mr. North America uh, picture yeah. that I was in. And then... Uh, in Moncton, ironically, when we were, when our company was, well, when I was working at the company, 
when we were in university, they always had these competitions, like joke, like things, you know, sexiest guy or nicest legs or whatever like that, right? So the boys and I would always go in and whoever won paid the drinks, basically, right? <laughs> so you're always hoping one in your friend group yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. And then that that's what happened in Moncton. And actually, there were several times in Moncton where I paid the payroll with the money that I had won at the club that week. No way. Yeah, there were some competitions where I won 2000 and 1000 2000 and I would float. I mean, obviously, the company gave me much more than that. But I would put it into the company to make payroll or to whatever. And my dad one, one morning came in and he looks at me and he goes, why is your $2,000 in the bank? More than I thought there was going to be there. And I told him and he started laughing, walks away. And then like another time I was sitting there and my dad comes in and looks at me and just starts dancing, right? And he goes, one of our employees saw you at the club the other night. <laughs> anyway, I know this sounds really horrible on radio, but the, po- the, the point is that you'll do whatever you, you use whatever tool you have yeah. to, um, when, you're, when you need to survive, you will go to great lengths to survive. And there was no pun intended with that tool reference. <laughs> it was just, those competitions were just very, were very like college boy bar things where you walk out on stage and take off your shirt and dance around and, and whoever loved you the most, you got the most screams, you made, you made, you made some money. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got into like, uh, that whole like, dancing world because, um, uh, Actually, I was winning competitions in Moncton. I won everything in, in the region. And, uh, and I was still going on about my life. It was just foolishness, right? But then this American group came through called Mike Malibu Mills and the American Hunks. And he uh, was actually on Donahue and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the guys got stopped at the border. And I had sent my girlfriend. She and her friends went, went to, the, to the, uh, the club to watch them. And I said, you know, I said, go. Of course, go. I don't go have fun. I didn't care. Right. And uh, she came home and she was like, you wouldn't believe it. She's got backstage passes. I'm like, okay, surprise. And uh, she goes, but they're missing a guy. They're looking for a guy. And all the girls started yelling about you. (laughs) And the guys are like, Mike wants to meet you in the morning. And I started laughing. I said, whatever. So I was out of work. I was unemployable. Yeah. I was 26. I wasn't willing to take a ground level sales job, which was at that time radio advertising sales. Okay, I wasn't willing to do it. And I actually had left university a few credits short of my degree. So that made me unemployable. Wow. Well, you thought unemployable at for what you may have wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And uh, so uh, I ended up going on tour. Throughout Atlanta, Canada, it was Mike Malibu Mills and the, <laughs> and the American Hunks. What a education that was! I can't even imagine. I cannot. No, but I mean, like just imagine. everything from you know. <laughs> Women are crazy in those situations. Yeah, but who wears a, like, you know, like again, what what guy ever wore, wears a thong in his real life? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you're like, you know, especially a sparkly studded one. You know, it's like <laughs> weird. It was so weird. It was so weird, but then, then, some uh, friend says to me, move to Montreal. And uh, I had had 
girls back in Moncton at the time who had been to Montreal and been to the top club in Canada. Yeah. And said, you should go there, Randy. And I said, what are you talking about? A stripper? Are you out of your mind? Out of your mind! So when I, the company failed, I went to, to Montreal to become an actor. One of the places that my friend's family happened to be going to that night was this club. So next thing I know, I'm sitting in the club watching what's going on. And You're like, I could do that. <laughs> well, weirdly enough, like I had no idea about that business. And this is the thing about life. That business is just like everything else. Yeah, of course. It's about repeat business and sales. You think that you go to a strip club and all it is is about throwing dollar bills around and, uh, you know, wiggling your butt and smiling and people are going to give you money. No, all these girls have boyfriends there. It's amazing. Yes, you have your tourists, but again, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. <laughs> the 80-20 rule works there as well. Yeah. So what I learned was that I used to have databases of my clients. I knew their kids' names. I knew everything about them. Whenever they told me anything new, I'd go up and write it in my little Casio. And then when I'd see them come in, I'd go up and I'd review their file. Wow. And the lesson here is all business runs the same. We are in a world of relationships. No matter what you want to say, it's not personal. It's business. Yes, business is personal. Yeah. 100% personal. 100% personal. Don't ever kid yourself. Anybody who says business isn't personal, they're trying to justify to themselves that they're going to screw you. Yeah. <laughs> or, that, or they're going to let you down. They're going to let you down. They're going to go against their promise is what it, really what it is. They're going to go against their promise. Right. And, and that, that's the truth. And like I tell actors in this business who I coach because of the Actor Advantage Program, stop thinking about auditions. Start building relationships. And so what was your, you're in Montreal doing your thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was your first kind of like acting gig or that you got? My first official acting gig, actually posted on Facebook uh, a couple months ago. It was called Misguided Angels. It was with Chris Farley's brother. And another guy named David Lipper, who I happened to bump into TIFF this year. And I took a picture with him and his picture's with me on the Facebook. Oh, so no I posted way. the video on a throwback Thursday. Here's me with David Lipper and here's me with him 21 years ago or 22 years ago, uh, 20 years ago on a show called Misguided Angels. And uh, it was just hilarious. Like, again, that was my first one. And Jules Verne, the Adventures of Jules Verne. I booked, I got my agent and everything, started the, the new year off. The second week of January, I auditioned for both those shows, landed both of them, and I said, I'm going to be a star. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Yeah. I, I didn't book another gig for over eight months. Wow. And yet, you booked, I booked the first two of three I, uh, auditions. Like, that's where I needed somebody to slap me right away and go, you need to slow down. Like, I'm hoping you keep this up, but you need to understand that you hit beginner's luck and your energy must have been in the right space because you're exuding something that's attractive. Oh, I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. For sure. All yeah. big time. So anyway, yeah. So my, my first, I still have, like I have those on my Facebook page. And I mean, my uh, YouTube channel. I had all those episodes. And so from that very first experience, do you remember mm -hmm. like being in it? Do you remember anything that you learned from it when you walked away and said, oh, I need to remember to do this or... Um, I, I, I learned that, you know, people, you know, like, you, you, you need to be good at what you do or 
people will eat you up. Especially if you're pretty. Yeah. Then you're just a bimbo or a bimbo. You are. <laughs> when I think about um, it's 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 um, again, I go back to this. We're in a relationship world, and I think that you have to earn your way, and you have to take the steps, and you know you want people to be happy and. And, you know, I look at, I look at acting, you know, I didn't know, like I created the Actor Advantage program because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I finally, I finally got like slapped myself in the face and said, you need to figure this out in a methodical way. Well, so with like when you're acting, I think acting is very much like being an entrepreneur. Like you have to be very highly motivated. You need to be like on the ball doing stuff. It's not like, you know, before we talked you, you're like, you can't just sit around and wait for a call. It doesn't happen that way. Or you can't be like waitressing in a restaurant and someone comes in and they're going to put you in their movie. Like it just doesn't work that way anymore. And you have to treat acting like a business. And it is. You're a brand and you need to understand that you should be focusing more on building relationships with, but you have to invest like so many young actors or actors who are just don't get it think that they're going to go to a networking event and just somebody could meet a director and who's got a film and then they're just going to say, well, I'd like to audition for your film. And the director's like, what have you invested in me yet for to ask me that? Unless you're a star yourself. If you're a right. star, I'm curious to see what you want to do with my film. But you have to invest. It's human investment capital against reciprocity. You have to invest before you're going to make a return on that investment. And I think... Actors don't do that very well at all. I would say um, other businesses do it much better. I just don't think artists have ever done it very well. It's amazing the I find the entitlement, or not the entitlement, the naivety. Because schools, here's the thing. On the drag's end, who's giving up this money and mentoring these businesses? Billionaires. Yeah. People who've done it. Who's teaching actors in school? Actors who've never made it. Yeah. <laughs> or they wouldn't be there. Yeah. It's now, true. they might have made it on a certain level, on a community level, on a theatrical level, a Stratford level. They come in and teach it. Bravo. I, ho- I hope so. But there are teachers there. They're there because they didn't make it. That was their fallback job. So, who are they to tell anybody how to make it in today's world? Like, really? Like, like but they, in acting, do they, like, are there really courses that? show you the business side of it or is it just like this is how you should act these are the things that you should do i can tell you that it's all about the craft yeah which is good that's the most important thing absolutely 100 percent most important thing but you know what it doesn't matter if you have the best race car in the world if you don't have a good driver who understands the vehicle it doesn't matter if you don't you have the best product in the world if you're not in costco or one of the major retailers you're not selling your product yeah. You know, it's a relationship. It's understanding that. Like, and that's what I'm saying to actors. That I'm not taking away from the craft. That's why some people don't like me because they think I'm just a businessman manipulating my way through acting. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm absolutely an artist. But isn't it like, okay, isn't it just that you're using the tools that you have? So you've had this business experience in the past. Now you're able to apply it mm-hmm. to acting. And acting is big business. Absolutely, like, 100%. And, and for me, it's all about return on investment. There's two things that you invest. One's money, one's time. Yeah. 
I'll buy tickets to almost anything anybody sends me an invite to. Doesn't mean I'm going. Mm. Now you've asked me for a double investment. Because <laughs> I'm giving away my life that I can't get back. Right. But I can buy a couple of tickets and give them away. And I'll encourage you that way. Yeah. But now to ask me to be at an event, you're right. You better con me. Unless you're a close friend. You're a close friend, I'll pay and I'll go. Yeah. But if you don't know me and you're asking me to show up, yeah, you better con me because you ask me to pay twice if not. And and again, it's 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 just a business mindset. Like I wish I could sit around and just worry about my craft. Yes, I'm gonna work all day and just be a better actor and better actor, better actor. Well, aside from Daniel Day Lewis and maybe Kate Winslet. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Yeah. How many other people do you know are in that 0.01%, not even 1%, the 0.01% yeah. that are doing that? Yeah, that are masters. Like. Yeah. Most most Hollywood people are running from film festival to film festival because they have to. They, it's not because it's so glamorous and people give me free champagne. It's because I need to sell this film. I know, but the outside perception from the people is that it is glamorous. Mm-hmm. like, And people think, oh, wouldn't it be so great to be there? But... For the people that are there, it's work. 100%. It's part of their job. 100%. If right? you go, uh, no, but isn't it like a business networking group that you go to? Yeah. You show up, you talk to the same two people that you know, and you leave, you just wasted your night. Yeah. Because nothing new has come out of it other than maybe you spent some money on some wine and then you talk to the same people. Yeah, it's true. No, but it, it's exactly the same for actors. And that's what I tell, that's what I, the same principles exactly where I teach actors. In the, in the program. So you went from your start in Montreal. Yeah. And then how did you go from Montreal to Toronto? Like what made... What uh, made I started my career in, my, in Montreal. I had some good, a good run. And I could have stayed. But unfortunately, I was in a bad relationship and I needed to get away. So I decided to move to Toronto. And uh, I was also involved with that radio and that channel. And so I moved to Toronto. And I started acting here. Uh, there's still some... That, casting directors in Toronto that won't see me. Why? Now, now and it's relationship and I put the onus on myself. I didn't do enough to earn their respect enough to get them to call me in. And that might either be me contacting them, me begging them, or me whatever, or maybe they don't like my agent. You know, I just landed a third series. I mean, so we mentioned at the beginning of the show that I had two TV series this year. Yep. I just got a third one. I'm going Ooh. back to Montreal tomorrow, or, or I think it's tomorrow or Wednesday, depending. They didn't call me to tell me when I'm flying out. Um, so that's exciting. Can you say what it is or no? Yeah, sure. It's called, it's a Margaret Atwood uh, <gasps> book called The Truth About the Harry Kubert Affair. Oh, and wow. I don't know, I don't know the book, of course, but. Uh, I here's a throwback. I am actually Colin Fiore's lawyer and lover in this movie. Yeah, I haven't played a gay, a gay character since 2002 when I was in Further Tales of the City. And actually, my only love scene in a movie ever ever is with a guy. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because you know your friends always say to you like, you know, they they, they have this. Uh, idea that uh, that acting's glorious and all I'm going to do is uh, you know have these wonderful sex scenes with beautiful actresses <laughs> <laughs> far from it 
I flew home to tell my dad about that when I was playing a gay character. <laughs> I actually flew home. That's, were you worried? Um, I flew home to tell my mother that I was a stripper. <laughs> and I flew home to tell my dad and my brothers that I was playing a gay character. So you moved to Toronto and mm-hmm. then... Um, I'm, I moved to Toronto, got, a, got agents. I was already in transition because I just didn't get on the bus and drop or car, get in my car and drive to Toronto and start getting... So I, I, it was a transitional thing. Yeah. And uh, the, um, the process was good. Like I said, I started my own show because I said I need to meet these people. It was business strategy. The bad thing about that is that I became known as a businessman, not a nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're doing that channel. Well, and agents are used to managing, well, being an agent for most of their clients are aloof. Yeah. They're easy to manage. They're like sheep. Okay? Well, I started changing that. That didn't go over very well. So it, it was something where casting directors and some of the agents and whatnot, you know, I, I had the best agents in the city. There was no issue. I, I was with the best company, the best companies for the years I've been here. No problem. But the perception amongst casting directors was that he's a businessman, not an artist. Because all casting directors want to believe that they are artists and they are. I have a respect for them. I really, really do. It's more difficult for me to have respect for them when they never see me. Yeah. But again, I have two choices. But it's, almost, it's almost like judgment is placed on you before even like, well, we, don't someone we all? seeing you. Don't we all? Yeah. You know, you have your favorite between Coke and Pepsi, your favorite between, you know, ketchup and mustard and whatever, or Heinz and everything else, I should say. And, and that's normal. It's human. My failure was not earning their love. Or their respect. Yeah. And that's my fault. But do you think that that is like, if you were to take a step back, would that be like a big lesson learned? Like whatever industry you're going into, kind of like know the ins and outs of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Well, And it's not to say you can't be a disruptor, but maybe it's disrupting in the right way. Yeah. You, you need to mask your, like I should have masked myself better than that. Yeah. Because my show is called The Green Room. It's called Show Business, Not Show Art for a Reason. Blah, 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 blah. It was rock and roll kind of music. And it was like, you know, it was like an F you, you know, to the art. And people took it that way. When, you know, what people don't know is that I traveled through southern France doing theater. I've traveled through the States doing theater. I've done fringe plays. I've done, you know, all these things. But I, it was my bad for marketing-wise not putting that at the forefront of everything that I've right. done. Right, yeah. And so they didn't see that. Them all, a lot of them, I bet you a lot of them still don't know. Like that, that's the thing. It's, it's again. And what I also choose to do is I try never to blame anybody else for anything because what I do then is that makes me the victim. Right. Whereas I have to say, I'm smarter than that. I have the ability to win them over. If I were to sit down and think about this and do what needs to be done, which sometimes is uncomfortable. And if I choose not to, then I got nobody to blame but me. And that's how I feel about anything in my life is that everything is my fault. Everything is my fault. That's good or bad. I'll take credit. That's why I don't mind taking credit for things. Because <laughs> if I get something right, I'll pat myself on the back. <laughs> if, I, if I mess it up, yep, totally me. Totally. I totally messed that up. Sorry. You know, no, but that's kind of Forrest Gump, right? That's who's 
again, I love that movie for that reason. So um, you're in Toronto, you're acting. Yeah. What is it that made you decide to kind of create... Well, okay, first, let's say, what is the Actor Advantage Program? The Actor Advantage Program is, is a series of meetings, one-on-one uh, mentorship meetings with myself, supported by an online program, an online training program that has 12 modules. You register, you get a new module every week. It's an online training course. And each module has three to five action items. The whole program is based on the same fundamental marketing principles that guide every business in the world. Product price plays promotion people and processes. And that's why my book is called The Six P's of Success for Actors. Mm. Those are the six P's. My book outlines each of them, outlines the program. And uh, I created the book for branding purposes if I chose to move on to speaking. Um, which I didn't, I pushed a little but not hard because I realized it's not really what I want yeah. to do. Yeah, <laughs> speaking's a hard gig. Well, no, but it's not that it's a hard gig. It's just that, what's, what do you really want to do? Yeah. You know, like, like and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm turning 50 in February. And have I really... Which I can't believe. You don't look 50. Well, thank at, you. Like, not even but, close. But, 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 if I, but if I, have I found my sweet spot yet? Or have I been denying it for years? Yeah. And I think I might be coming into it. And I created the Actor Advantage program. No, but I created the Actor Advantage program because I care about people. I hate the idea of starving artists. And it's like yeah. people have resigned themselves to the fact that this is the reality of life and business as an artist. And that doesn't make sense to me. Every other industry has a balance. Yeah. Well, and I think I think one of the things that we can also kind of talk about now is at different points in your career, you've also realized there's things sometimes that you have to do that you don't really want to do, but it puts money on the table or puts food on the table, Hell right? Yeah. It brings money in. So I know you'd mentioned to me before, like you were doing some hand modeling and you're like, I never thought I would be doing something like that. Well, that's, that's truthfully, uh, uh, or even modeling. That's a great gig. Hand modeling's a great gig. It's easy as hell. But, uh, I should say easy. The idea is I just have to avoid bar fights and, you know, wrestling bears. Yeah. But uh, the the idea, like the ones that are not as prestigious in the acting industry are doing extra work. Mm. And what I chose when I created the program, see here, I might, been in, I might have been in the business for 21 years, but truthfully, I've only been in the business for four. I've known what I've been doing for four years. Right. And it's taken me, it's going to take me seven years to become independent. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm four and a half years in. I will be a doctor in seven years of acting. Yeah. And then in the three years after that, I'll be a specialist. And that's how you have to look at it. If you're willing to sit down and take the right, I'll be honest with you, take the Active Advantage program. I believe in it fully. Every year I update it. It's 500 bucks. That's like most courses with the cost in six weeks anyway. And you get it for the year. Yeah. To review it and manage it. It tells you everything from A to Z about how to become an actor and how to earn a living as an actor if you're willing to do it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I've got over 70 people across the country in the program right now. Most of them are in Toronto. But I've got people in LA and New York. Some of the actors, the ones who, ones who are succeeding are the ones who actually applied it. Yeah. And the rest of them, like you're like, I'm like looking and going, don't you look around? Like, look at the other members. But are people not applying it because it's the risk? It's getting outside their comfort zone? It's like, no. Maybe if I'm not, even if I do my best, it won't be good enough. 
Yeah, fear. I've, I've feared that. I've, I've been, there's aspects of my life that I'm like that in still that I work through. Absolutely. And that's what I'm for. I mean, my job is to encourage people and motivate them to, to be better. And sometimes some of them are already better than me at certain things. There are actors in my program that make way more money than I do. Sure. But I coach them on the things that they feel uncomfortable about. Like I've got a young man who's on the Americans, Alex Ozrob. He's on the Americans. I mean, this kid's a star. He's been in the program for four years. Yeah. So I don't pimp him. I don't put his poster and his face on everything that I do. But I could easily do that and say to any actor, if he's in here, why aren't you? Well, it's almost like having a business coach, right? So, for 100%. example, I've run Orange Fish for 10 years. And it's only in the last year I've applied to get a mentor. And if you had asked me before, it's probably my ego was in the way, oh, or I didn't think about it, or I don't know what it was. Like, no, but it's entrepreneurship. It's like you do everything. I don't know. <laughs> but now I'm like, no, I want a mentor because I want to know that I'm. I want a soundboard because the other thing is too, and I'm sure this is similar with acting. Like, entrepreneurship can be a very lonely road. You know, like. You're working a lot of the times, you have weird schedules, but you love what you're doing, but your friends don't necessarily get it because they don't run their own business or they're not actors. And so you're putting in all this time and they're like, why, why are you working all the time? Like, why don't you come out with us? Why don't you do X? Why don't you do Y? And you're like, because this is what I want to be doing. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I don't think I would... When I'm out with a multi-millionaire friend, yeah. I go, how do you know when you stop? He goes, when the money's gone. And he goes, it doesn't mean all my money. It means that if I said I'm putting a million dollars into a business, there had better be a really, really special reason that I'm going to put any more money into that business. Yeah. Like, you better be able to prove that to me beyond a doubt and that, I just close it down and move on to the next one. Yeah. Because you weren't the right guy. That's right. And they don't even think about it. That, and that's the thing that entrepreneurs in the middle class don't understand. They will hang on for dear life. Yes. And they will mortgage their house. And they will, they will, they will go to the end of the line. Whereas if they, worked out, if they truly worked out a business plan and followed a bank and an accountant and a lawyer and said, here's the budget. Here's another six months on top of it to make sure that that's enough. If you don't make it, promise me you'll shut the door. But that's the same thing with actors, right? True. Like, yeah. it's the same It's the same. And that's, and that's why I say, that's right. That's why I say that the first 17 years, I had no idea what I was doing. And most agents don't know how to coach actors. And it's not their job. Never mind. They're trying to run a business that's a, a 100% commission. Yeah. At only 15%. Yeah. And the sales targets are terrible. Even, okay, so the series that I just got is is only two days I'm in Montreal. So it's, I'm in three episodes. Um, so two days, three episodes. It's probably worth about 6,000 bucks. 15% of that is 900 bucks. Yeah. How long did my agent, well, the same agent that got me 21 Thunder last year. That's That was her last gig. That gig was worth $18,000. So technically, my agent has made $900 plus the 15% off the 18 or 20,000 from the, the 21 vendor. Yeah, but... No, no, but the, 
It depends. You might think they have 200 clients. Well, that's not, <laughs> how'd you know what I was thinking? Because it's obvious. <laughs> that's where you're going. She's got 40 clients. Several of them are way more successful than I am. Like, yeah. So she's fine. Okay. But most small agencies, they do. They have to take on 200 clients just to hope that one of them hits. Two yeah. of them hits. And like agencies will tell you. And I've done interviews that I could pull up and give it to you. There were Larry Goldhart, who's the founder of the, of the characters, one of the most pro- prolific agencies in the country. He said, he goes, the top 20% make all your money for you. He goes, but that 20% changes about 10% every year. So you have to, you have to build your sandbox and play to your advantage and focus on what your niche is. You know, it's, it's like the book, uh, good to great and, yeah. uh, or, or crossing the chasm talks about you need to become the best at one thing that nobody will refute you on. And it doesn't matter if it's what you want it to be. You needed to find out what it is that you can win and then start winning it all the time. And once you do, then you can start branching out to make it bigger. But, but if you want to penetrate a market, you can't penetrate, you know, this couch with a fist. Yeah. But you can penetrate it with a needle. Right. And that's and that's the whole thing is that you, you need to define what... Like, I play the same character all the time. Just a, sh- a, a slight shade left or right. But I'm, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> or, which, which I call a fucker. Right? I'm a son of a bitch, usually. Because yeah. nice guy's a lead. So I'm not going in... Usually I'm... I've got a bit of a scruff when I audition now. Usually. And, uh, yeah, I'm the son of a gun. Son of a bitch that's at the table. That people don't like because the lead is going to either steal my wife, who's the female lead, because I'm such a bad guy. <laughs> Or, or, you know, like, but, but it's understanding your niche. What, what's your brand? What can you win? It doesn't matter what you want to win. Yeah. What can, what can you win? And, and so bringing it all back to the program, is what I talk about actors. Like, you're all different. Like, what can you win? If you're winning with something, don't sit there and let the artist take over and go, well, I want to be able to do other things. No. Win the hell out of that until it's not there anymore. Yeah. Right? But you know, artists in a lot of different um, mediums have this challenge. Like I've met a lot of artists through Orange Fish mm-hmm. who have a great product, yeah. but they're like, yeah, I don't want to make that anymore. And you're like, but it's hot right now. It's Everybody wants cow. it. Like strike, strike. It's your cash cow. Yeah. No, I don't feel like doing it anymore. No. Well, that, that's, that is somebody's, there's something subconscious about somebody's self-sabotage. Mm there that it keeps them mediocre and it keeps them fighting the fight and keeps them gives them a reason to complain to people that they need somebody's help yeah people the fear of success is great and i'm not gonna say i'm not i, I there's things i'm working through i feel oh, i I'm, think everybody no but i feel like it's right i feel i'm getting there i'm in my fourth year of a seven-year plan <laughs> and that and that's what i say to myself and that's what I, I post that online and so now Going back to what I was talking about, about these meetings, I ended up being at the accounts meeting and getting mad. I just looked at my friends. I said, I can't not do this. Mm. So I said, but if I'm going to do this, I have to make sure that I pay myself with doing other things in my life that I promised that I would do, such as my TV series and the Actor Advantage program and things yeah. like that. And um, I mean, it's a wild ride. We're right in the middle of it. Like I, you're talking to me now and I've been on the computer for four days. So, okay. If we were to look at last 20 years in acting, Mm -hmm. what is 
the biggest lesson that you've learned? Relationship. Same as business. Okay. Nurture, nurture, relationship. If you can have, like in business, if you can have a, a one page, say a, a piece of paper that has 30 or 33 lines or 32 lines, whatever it is, yeah. of clients that'll buy from you, that's just a, an actor's point of view. If I can have one page of paper of producers that will hire me once every three years, that means I'm getting 10 gigs a year, which most actors never get. Right. Numbers. It's the numbers game. Yeah. And that's what I'm building. That's what I'm trying to explain to artists and they have a hard time like getting off the old, by golly, if I go in the audition room and I'm the best today, I'm going to win that role. Well, maybe not because I was probably out with the director last night having a drink. Right? Or yeah. the director was out with my agent the night before having a drink. Or I've worked with that director before. And you're right. All I need to do is be in be in the game. And chances are they're going to pick me because the director can look at the producer and go, I like wearing this guy. He's a good guy. He's good. Yeah. As long as you're in, as long as you're in, the, in the ballpark or close... If you're top three, then yeah, they'll take they'll they'll take number two over number one any day if they know number two. Everything everything is relationship. So Randy, um, if people want to find out more about you or get in touch with you, where's the best place to for them to go? Uh, from an acting point of view, the easiest way would be the Actor Advantage Program website. Okay, and that is www.actoradvantageprogram.com. Actor, yeah. Okay, there's no S on actor. It's actor. Yes. Not actors. Actoradvantageprogram.com. And well, you accept everyone as a friend on your Facebook page. That's right. I'm going to get 200 spots left and then I'm going to start cutting people. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I. I, I Facebook uh, only lets you have a certain 5, number 000. of friends? Oh, really? Yeah, on a personal page, 5,000. And so. You I'll, might be forced to make the move over to the fan page. Well, I already have one, the fan page. But what I would do on the personal page, I'll just go through and I'll start just cutting everybody who I haven't talked to in two years. Or something right. Like that, right? That's just easy. It's just, but uh, yeah, just Google my name, Randy Thomas. And you'll see, first thing, one of the first things that will come up will be my IMDB profile. Yeah. Which is what lists all the movies and TV shows and the series that I've been on. So that's always great for you to check it. IMDB.com. Uh, well, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Jen. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the screen. And all the best to you. Like, I'm really, uh, really happy that you called me. And I think that it's fabulous what you're doing, what you're continuing to do. And uh, again, anytime I can do anything. Well, or, we might just have to have another chat. Or your listeners. <laughs> if you want to chat, give me a call. I'm here. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Jen.